Hello, 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 my friends. Rob Orman here. I hope you're well. For those of you new to the show, you are listening to the Stimulus Podcast. You are listening to episode 101 of the show. And what we do here is break down ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you live and work with intent. I am a physician coach helping clinicians work through burnout, overwhelm, feeling stuck, and just promoting general kick assery. Few bits of housekeeping. I just published the fourth edition of the Quick and Dirty Guide to Calling Consults. I want to thank all of you who gave feedback to help make that document even better, even quicker, even dirtier. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? If you haven't seen it yet, it's available on the website under the freebies menu. There's a lot of ways to call a consult, a lot of right ways, a lot of wrong ways. This one just happens to be my way. Now, the big kahuna, the big daddy, the big announcement is that the Flame Proof course is open for registration. This is different than the workshop I've been talking about. I'll talk about that in a second. This is the Flame Proof course. It is starting in September 2023. What is it? Scott Weingart and I have put this together. We've been working for about a year on it, and it is our best strategies and tactics, the most frequent challenges and impactful frameworks from our one-on-one coaching sessions. We've built them into a live virtual course designed just for you. These are the skills that we should have learned in residency for self-mastery, career longevity, anti-burnout. The course is 12 sessions over six months, and you will be working with a cohort of like-minded clinicians to help you find joy in your job, set up a barrier for burnout, and thrive in your career in ways you never expected. I could tell you all about it here, but you can learn even more at the Flameproof course website, which is linked in the show notes to this pod. And if you want the in-person experience, which I mentioned before, we also have our half-day Flameproof workshop coming up as a pre-conference for Essentials of Emergency Medicine in Las Vegas, end of May of this year. That one is kind of like a, like a sampler, you know, but you get it in person. There is something you get in person. The Flameproof course, the one starting up September, that is the full meal. It's the whole buffet. Check it all out in the show notes and just maybe we'll see you there. To the topic at hand, the liminal space, a term you may or may not have heard before, but by the end of this podcast, we'll all be on equal footing. Let's set the foundation and define what we're even talking about, this liminal space. This refers to a transitional or in-between state where you're in a place of ambiguity or uncertainty. You're neither here nor there. You are becoming. You have not yet become. Being in the liminal space is disorienting and really disorientation. That's the natural experience of the liminal space because you don't yet have your bearings or compass heading. Hashtag orientation. And I want to look at the big picture of the liminal space in a moment, but let me first take this down to the atomic personal level, a fleeting type of moment. And there's this phenomenon that I experienced all through medical school, residency, my whole career as an attending physician, and I still experience it in certain circumstances, and that is getting back into the flow of things. And a quintessential example of this is when you've had an extended period of time off, especially when you get to totally decompress, like you go on vacation or a trip where 
you're completely taken out of your usual work element, and then you're thrust back into the workplace, and oh, oy vey. Oh, vey, oh my gosh, it's raining cats and dogs. I feel like I have two left feet and I don't remember anything. My buddy Ryan calls this post-vacation stress disorder. And my least favorite shift of all time was never a night shift. It was never a day shift. It was never a back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Or it was nothing like that. It was the first shift when I returned from vacation. Why? Well, I was still on vacation mind. And all of a sudden, I was swept up in the incredibly focused and specific environment of work. After a day or two, or uh, maybe even half a day, I get used to it and then get back into the flow. But the transition was so incredibly stressful and discomforting. And I was, just, I was a crabby crab. And I was thinking about this recently, preparing for lacrosse season. I've mentioned on the show before that I referee high school girls lacrosse, which has an extremely complex rule structure. It's Byzantine, you might say. And you have to apply those rules sprinting up and down the field. There's sticks and balls flying around, 24 players on the field, lots of noise. Tremendous concentration under a bit of duress, application of situation-specific knowledge, and interpretation of fast-moving events. And it's really fun when you're in the groove. I mean, sound familiar, right? Like that's, that's kind of a lot of the work of acute care medicine, critical care medicine, or just like, you know, being a clinician. There's so many things in life. But every year... It's like learning it all anew. And the first game back is so hard because you feel like you're just not in that frame of reference. You know, the memory cache has yet to fill. And the memory cache being the information right at the forefront of your brain, the instantaneous rapid access stuff isn't quite there like it is mid-season. Situational awareness is not hyper acute. And it's just like that first shift back after some time off. You know, the swagger and the easy confidence have not exited the gravity well. You see that first patient and you think, what are all the things I'm easily supposed to be remembering here? So what I do for lacrosse season and what I did for many years before entering that inaugural shift after a break was use a very specific framework because I found the process of re-entry to be so hard. And the transition point between those two frames of mind is a liminal space. It is a very small one, but it is a space between. It is a space between, you might, I don't know, you might say checked out brain and checked in brain or checked into something else brain and checked into work brain. Now, granted, the only way I think to gain full situation awareness, to truly gain this and rev up the memory cache is to just get back in there and do the work. And you're going to suffer a bit. Just being aware that this is going to be a little bit of suffering, a little bit of pain, that's the first win. Back to that in a moment. But right before lacrosse season, I will watch a lot of game film, a lot, a lot. And when I'm doing that, I put myself in the position of the referees on the field. I pause, I work through, I visualize how I'd manage each situation, running brain simulations informed by watching a fast-paced game in real time. For the first few games, I get to the field really early, walk around, just get a feel of the environment. It's similar to speaking. You know, if you're going to speak to a room full of people, get to the room early and you know, get a feeling of the space. When I would come back to a shift after time off, the day before and if possible the day of, I would read about and visualize challenging scenarios. 
which included resuscitations and, you know, the things that I might be anxious about, like a neonatal resuscitation or something like that. So, I mean, that, that was part of it, but it was first person perspective, visualization, walking through things like multiple patients coming in at once, seeing one patient, then documenting and then being interrupted. Or even just seeing one patient and documenting, getting back into the flow of that, at least in my mind. You know, all of the things that actually happened. What am I going to do? And how am I going to mentally prepare for this? And then going into work, and this is not just when I was returning from vacation, but all the time, but I made sure I was doing this after coming from vacation on my first shift. I would listen to a medical podcast to further get into that medical mindset. And I knew that despite all of this, I was going to feel off kilter when I arrived at the hospital. So get there early, go through the recess bay. You know, everything's going to be there, but it's okay. Here's where all my stuff is. Here's what I would do when somebody came in, walk around the emergency department, sign any old charts. Now that was intentional because I wanted to re-familiarize myself with the medical record system. Take a look at my documentation phrases. Just refresh, all right? What are the things that I have ready to go that are going to make me more efficient? And FYI, One of my recurrent nightmares when I was working in the ED, and it still continues to be, in fact, I had this a few nights ago, that I could not remember any of my passwords. (laughs) It's just uh, wake up in a sweat, but I digress. It's hard to have flow, confidence, and situational awareness when you're trying to remember those tiny forefront of the mind bits of information and strategy that so easily melt away when you're not at work. They come back quickly, but... That was my strategy for mitigating as much as possible that liminal state, that liminal space from off-brain to on-brain. And it wasn't so much a relearning. I knew the stuff. It was in there somewhere. It was first being aware that this exists, then accepting that it's happening when it's happening, not trying to fight it. It says, okay, here's what's going on. And then priming the pump as much as possible for that mode switch. And As a footnote to that, I did locums for several years, and this was even more important. I mean, you go to so many new hospitals, so many different hospitals, everything's in a different place, you know, arrive early, get the lay of the land, because I mean, every emergency department felt disorienting, like, where are the tongue blades in this place? I forget. All right, now let's switch to the big picture liminal state. You know, that last one, that's that's just a small little shit passing in the night thing that I just think about a lot. But this Next one, this is a big deal for almost all of us. In the next few months, many of us, many of you will experience a change, a change in title, position, venue, responsibility, a change in something. It might be that you are a college student going to medical school, a medical student starting a new rotation, becoming an intern, an intern, a resident, a resident, a chief resident, a fellow, a resident becoming an attending, an attending, a leader, going to a new hospital, a new position. There are so many transitions, where we shift from a steady state, from equilibrium, from knowing what's going on to all of a sudden, a state of becoming, a state of in-between, neither here nor there. One of the challenges with that state of becoming is that we don't like it. We like to avoid it at all costs, but I'm sorry to say that you will not avoid it, alas. And there are consequences to this. Imposter syndrome raises its head during these intervals. The liminal state is like a supercharged fertilizer for imposter syndrome to grow. 
because our mindset and expectations are framed around the wrong thing. We get so focused on not being fully baked, on not being fully formed. And when we compare ourselves to that, yes, to, oh, what does it look like when somebody kind of knows what, knows what they're doing here? Yes, we are imposters. But we're also fooling ourselves, thinking that starting a new role, fully formed and turnkey ready, is even possible. That is a mugs game, as my UK and Aussie friends say. That is a non-starter. And for those of you who are or will be experiencing a liminal state, a state of in-between, a state of becoming, the hallway between two rooms, something that can feel like a tectonic shift, I want to present a different way of looking at this interval of time, and that is to embrace. That is to identify and embrace that this is a liminal state. This is naturally disorienting. This is naturally ambiguous and uncertain. And I can't think of anyone immune to liminality because it's kind of part of a rite of passage where we go through a transformative experience. What happens when we transform? We leave behind an old identity and assume a new one. We are neither what we were nor what we will become. And I spoke about disorientation a moment ago and adding to that, liminality encompasses feelings of confusion, insecurity, and vulnerability. When you feel like you need to look like you know what you're doing, this can be really uncomfortable to say the least. And I'm thinking back to my med school rotations, basically trying to figure out a new specialty, figure out a new team, figure out the new dynamics every month or two. And then fast paced rotations, I mean, there's this intense stress and uncertainty. Now I could say, Use the stress and uncertainty as fuel to propel you to greatness. But stress and uncertainty can be overwhelming and anxiety-provoking. And it's okay to feel those things. They're natural. And I would say that feeling them, identifying them, is one of the important aspects of this. I've yet to find a valid psychological approach, construct, or framework that says, suppress your feelings, try to run away from them. No. The move is to turn towards this, to embrace this, to face it. That's the move. And when you can be okay sitting with that sense of unease or disorientation, that can be the first step on the path to having the liminal state be a healthy period rather than something that sucks. And this is where identity comes in. One way to think about identity in the liminal state comes from something that was developed in the business world. And I'm not, I don't know if that's actually, I haven't seen it as part of a psychological construct, but it just applies so well here. And that is the transitional identity. And in business, you know, you know, you see businesses all the time, you know, that brands, values, even missions of a business, they're expected to change as a company adapts to market conditions and customer needs. And the transitional identity as it pertains to business involves a deliberate effort to shift away from the old identity toward a new one that better reflects the desired direction. I mean, this transition is so hard that it has its own identity. And in business, businesses that do this well, they monitor, okay, how's it going? What's going well? What's not going well? What adjustments do we need to make to effectively keep progressing from point A to point B? That's on a large scale of a business. And on a personal scale, the transitional identity is embracing 
the position of not quite having become. For an individual, this is in contrast to imposter syndrome, which gives people the sense that a transitional identity is abnormal. It's abnormal to feel like you don't know what you're doing. So think about that. Here, here's the ultimate transitional identity. You bring a baby home from the hospital. You know, you think, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, you don't know. You, you mean, you kind of know, but it's scary. And you embrace it as scary. And that gets into what do we do about this? How do you thrive here? How do you thrive in the liminal state? The transitional identity when the expectation is to feel adrift. Right? Those almost seem discordant. I feel adrift, yet I'm going to thrive. And so the question is, what do you need to put into place in order to embrace uncertainty and change? It's easy to say, right? Oh, the obstacle is away. Embrace the challenge. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. But we don't deal in generalities and platitudes here, my friends. We deal in strategies, tactics, logistics. And what works best in embracing the transitional identity? It's going to be unique to the individual. Here's a few ideas, and I'm going to tell you just kind of some general concepts. And I'm going to tell you some things that have worked with clients, some things that I do personally. And first, the subtext of much of what's been said so far are awareness and acceptance. Awareness that this is going to happen and that it's happening. Okay. I am feeling disoriented and discomfort. Got it. And the acceptance of that. And acceptance is a tricky one because it's not just a one-time thing. It's a process. There's no need to fight the liminal space or run away. Want to, in our minds, turn toward it and accept that, all right, this is what's happening in the present moment. And in this case, you are accepting and embracing this identity, this transitional identity. And how do you know that there's acceptance? Because there's no struggle. That might be enough. Just knowing a thing and embracing it. And when things get hard, remind yourself and periodically check in. How am I doing? Let me present that from a little bit of a different perspective. This is one of my favorite metaphors. It's the two arrows metaphor. It's a difference between pain and suffering. Now, these arrows are metaphorical. All right, so the first arrow, get right there in the chest. That is the event itself and the associated pain. The second arrow, that represents suffering. And suffering is where you have a choice. Pain, you don't. Feeling disoriented, you don't have a choice there. Suffering, you do. First arrow hit, the event itself, you can't control all of the circumstances at the moment. You cannot control the first thought or emotion that bubbles up. It just comes. You can't control pain or discomfort. It's just there. But then the second arrow, that second metaphorical arrow, that is the suffering This is where we have a choice and can expand the space between stimulus and response. And paradoxically, when we resist what's actually happening in a situation, the suffering only amplifies that second arrow just grows and gets red hot. And oh my gosh, was it dipped in curare? What's happening here? Accepting the moment as it is, that first arrow. Okay, that first arrow's in me. That hurts. Accepting that leads to equanimity. When you feel that second arrow and you're telling yourself, this should not be so, pause and ask yourself, what's the story I'm telling myself here? Oftentimes it's a misplacement or misalignment or switching of expectation and aspiration. 
We have this expectation that we will be a certain way, that things will be a certain way, that we should be a certain way. But really, what we're really talking about is aspiration. That is an aspiration to be a certain way. And maladaptive perfectionism is a perfect example here. We have this expectation that we will be perfect. And I'll tell you, that second arrow of suffering, that'll be red hot and sticking in for a lifetime with that. If you want to make perfect care and knowledge and aspiration, amazing. But the expectation in the liminal state is that you're going to feel clumsy. You're going to stumble. And if you want an expectation to set for yourself something that you completely control, have it be the expectation that you will develop a process to improve. Aspiration can be an image to strive for, but the expectation is, what do I control here? how I take one step after the next. Let's talk about the reversal of desire. That's a term coined by psychotherapist Phil Stutz. The reversal of desire means that instead of desiring ease and your comfort zone, now this is going to sound maybe a little bit strange, instead of desiring ease in your comfort zone, you desire the pain and the innate uncomfortableness. You seek it out. And an important point here is that you're not seeking it out masochistically, but it's coming anyway. So you face it head on knowing that this is also a time of continuous work. It is work. And so you you can say to yourself, all right, bring it. I'm ready. I know this is going to hurt. Let's take a big bite out of it. And that brings up the next tool is action. In the liminal state, in a transitional identity, we want to focus on being in a continuous state of forward motion and learning. Not that you won't take a step or two back or stumble, but a step or two back, that's just data. That is data telling you what you need to do, what you need to learn to keep moving forward. And critical to this is we don't want to do it alone. I mean this in the small scale and the large scale. So There's individual relationships that can help with this as well as community. And a vital aspect to thriving in the transitional identity is mentorship. Having a mentor who can provide guidance, support, feedback, and just be invaluable in navigating the new complexities, developing skills and knowledge, managing the stress and anxiety that can come with whatever's happening. And for you mentors out there, schedule sessions for getting together. Don't rely on it just to happen organically. Make it something that you're regularly checking in on. I mean, like you think of push and pull notifications. This is a push notification from you, the mentor. And if you don't hear from your mentee, reach out, make sure you see how they're doing. And a mentor can be, it can be like a safe harbor amidst the storm. Also, what's a mentor give you? Sounding board for ideas, encouragement, role model. And one thing is just, here's a little, little bone to pick for you older attending physicians who want to tell a young attending that they are too young to feel burnt out, hold your tongue because A, that's not true. And B, if you see them struggling, reach out, ask how you can help. And along the same lines, community, paramount importance, especially when you are entering the liminal state, embracing this transitional identity. Say you're a new attending from being a trainee. I mean, I think this is one of the hardest times. It's a rude awakening. And You've just gone from perhaps being in one of the most tight-knit communities you will ever experience in your life to do your shifts, see your patients, make your metrics, go home. 
There's rarely a built-in community. You need to find it. You need to create it. Find your peers within the group. And if that seems impossible, make sure you stay in touch with those residency friends. Create a community that's not local, but still has gusto. Something else that might not be obvious as a key feature of embracing the transitional identity is prioritizing self-care. The adage that the patient comes first, it's not true. The patient is either on the same plane as you regarding priorities or you come first. Now, let me clarify that. It's not that at work you don't fight as their champion, but fighting as a champion for patients can become the only thing. And during a transitional state, this is the time to set boundaries, to prioritize rest and relaxation, to engage in activities that bring you joy and fulfillment. I don't know what that is for you. Exercise, meditation, hanging out with those you love, getting outside, making soap, building cabinets, reading books, learning to fly a single engine plane, watching Ted Lasso. And as I say all this, it can sound like it's happening in a vacuum as if, you know, okay, you're given this long leash of self-discovery and transformation where there's no expectation that you perform. And when there is enlightened leadership, there is an expectation that a new hire or a new member, it's going to take some time to onboard. When there's less enlightened leadership, there's an expectation, sometimes tacit, sometimes overt, that you need to right away be on par with the experienced members of the group from the get-go. And let's be honest, both of those exist. And a healthy mindset can be harder under those second conditions. And having a clear idea of what the expectations are can go a long way. Like we, we actually assume that, oh, I have to meet these certain expectations or they're, they're presented in a you know, kind of a cryptic way or, okay, here's, here's the metrics. Here's how you compare. Here's all the standard deviations. What does that mean? What's my expectation here? What am I supposed to be doing? Is it just, I'm supposed to feel like I am incompetent because I'm a standard deviation away on my admit rate and my length of time? What am I supposed to be doing? Much of our stress can be self-imposed because we are such perfectionists. And when we enter a liminal state, it is so profoundly anathema to our self-image that our cortisol levels can shoot through the tops of our heads. I'm going to say this to the, the folks who are going to be new attendings. Actually, you know what? Anyone who's entering a liminal state, have a mentor, have a peer group. And if you're starting a new job, Please shadow a few shifts before you begin so you understand the process and understand the flow. And speaking of flow, I'll tell you one thing that I do. I actually use a lot of those tools just in different situations when I'm entering a new situation. But one visualization I try to use is surfing the liminal state, surfing the wave. How do I embrace the transitional identity is trying to understand what I can and can't control. You know, we want, we want to be able to control everything, but so much of this stuff is out of my control, especially the time it's going to take to become that in this period of becoming, just visualize myself surfing the wave of whatever's coming at me, that I can control this little thing that's going on with my feet on the surfboard, but everything else, I just got to go with it. And these are you know, kind of tools you do yourself, but I would say if it feels like too much, if none of these things are working, please reach out. Don't hold it all in. Don't be an island during this time. That might mean counseling. That might mean coaching. That might mean an additional or advanced educational opportunity. And in the big picture, can you embrace being disoriented, being adrift? Can you embrace becoming? When you can commit to the transitional identity, it changes the expectation for you. 
it can go from, you know what, this, this, this time, this is really awful, to, well, you know what, this is the time when I grow and transform. This is constant work. Mindset alone is not going to do it. It's continual work, it's focus, it's refocusing, and let's be honest, it's painful at times. If you're listening to this, you have been through this before. If you were ever a teenager, you have been through the liminal state. And it does go away once you become, and then a new one begins. And if you can keep moving forward, that's the win. And that is it for today. To learn more about one-on-one coaching, to get complete show notes for this or any other episode, sign up for our newsletter, and find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Maybe not, maybe it's happening. Just head over to our website, robwarman.com. Until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.